Welcome to episode 18 of Kept Secrets. I'm your host, Nikki Rothrock. This podcast is a way that I try to help others who have experienced childhood, sexual abuse, neglect, or trauma. I will discuss my personal experience and the treatments that helped me heal my broken heart and soul. My abuse started as early as five to six years old until I was 15 and by more than 20 different perpetrators. There's a long history, but I've been able to create this podcast in hopes of helping one person. I hope that person is you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 18. Um, I'm not sure if anybody noticed, but last week um, I was not able to, pr- to come out with an episode because I was sick. I was really sick. Um, there was some kind of stomach bug going around. But anyway, I was trying to come up with something that would be of interest to you guys this week. Um, I won't be back next week, maybe the week after, um, but I'm not sure. So this could be the last episode of season two, um, unless I decide to do another one when I get back from vacation. Anyway, Tonight, the episode is going to be about post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. I've got an article from the Mayo Clinic, and I thought I would go over this and read some of the symptoms and what they suggest for treatment and when to see a doctor, when to go to the emergency room, things like that. So according to the Mayo Clinic, post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental health condition that's triggered by a terrifying event, either experiencing it or witnessing it. Symptoms may include flashbacks, nightmares, and severe anxiety, as well as uncontrollable thoughts about the event. Archie has made his presence known, so he's gonna probably get a little rowdy. Um, So most people who go through a traumatic event may have temporary difficulty adjusting and coping but with time and good self-care, they usually get better. If the symptoms get worse, last for a month or even years, and interfere with your day-to-day functioning, you may have PTSD. Getting effective treatment after PTSD symptoms developed can be critical to reduce symptoms and improve function. So what are symptoms? Um, According to the Mayo Clinic, Post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms may start within one month of a traumatic event, but sometimes symptoms may not appear until years after the event. These symptoms can cause significant problems in social or work situations and definitely in relationships. Gotta give the dog some treats because he's not going to be quiet. Um, they can also interfere with your ability to go about your normal daily tasks. PTSD symptoms are generally grouped into four types. Intrusive memories, avoidance, negative changes in thinking and mood, and changes in physical and emotional reactions. Symptoms can vary over time and vary from person to person. So let's talk about these um, symptoms. The first one is intrusive memories. Symptoms of intrusive memories may include recurrent and unwanted distressing memories of the traumatic event, reliving the traumatic event as if it were happening again, which would be a flashback, 
upsetting dreams or nightmares about the traumatic event, and severe emotional distress or physical reactions to something that reminds you of the traumatic event. So I'm going to kind of give you some examples in my personal situation. Um, If you're new to the podcast, you may not have heard me talk about Tom. Tom was my stepfather for six or so years. The abuse pretty much started right away when he moved into our home. He was eventually, he married my mom, but there were other abusers, but the one that stands out the most and has actually caused the PTSD for me is Tom. Well, there was one other one from when I was a young child, but um, this one is the one that is the strongest for me. So symptoms of intrusive memories may include reoccurring unwanted distressing memories of the traumatic event. So for myself, it was not just a one-time thing. This happened over six years three to five times a week, I was forced to have sex with him in some way, shape, or form. Um, so it, it has been very difficult over the last 25 years or so um, to actually have a day where I don't think about it. Um, it's not something that I want to think about, but it is something that does come up pretty regularly. Um, that might be, you know, anything that has to do with Tom, eventually it goes back to the sexual abuse. So if I remember something that has to do with him, which in my current life, uh, racing has been a big thing for my husband and I like stock car racing. Like my husband works at this racetrack and, um, I go there every weekend with him because, it's awesome and I I just enjoy going. But as a child, I was forced to go. I was forced to be around these places and I didn't really get into it much as a kid. I liked it, but I didn't love it. So as an adult, sometimes we go to certain tracks and sometimes I am triggered. So it would be an intrusive memory. So um, another example. This is kind of a double, a double whammy, but stop. Go lay down. So uh, an intrusive memory that I had this last fall, I went to a racetrack with my husband. They race there like once or twice a year. It's usually a big race. And we follow a lot of this, the same people throughout the year. Um, So about five or six years ago, I was sitting in my normal place where I sit with my husband and this group of people came up and sat down next to us, which would have been to my right. Um, And I looked because I always like to see who I'm sitting around, you know, who doesn't. Plus the race hadn't started yet. So it was just kind of like blah, blah. It was just boring. So I saw... Instantly, I saw something familiar. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, in my head, I was like, oh, crap. Actually, I probably said other words, but... um, Tom was sitting 
about three feet away from me on the same bleacher seat that I was sitting in, sitting on. So I leaned over to my husband and I said, Tom is sitting right there. Um, and that's all I said. And without even thinking about it, my husband stands up and walks over and sits down between us, between me and Tom. So I felt protected, you know, he, and I asked him later in, in this, in a podcast about living with someone with PTSD, I asked him why he did that. And he said, I think he said it was instinct because he wanted to protect me, even though he knew that nothing would most likely happen. He still wanted me to feel safe. And so that's all he had to do. Okay. So fast forward to the next year, um, we were going to go to the same race and it's always in the fall. It's in October. It's so much fun. And my husband and I look forward to it every year, but I kept having these intrusive thoughts about Tom and I kept, I, it, it felt like it was kind of taking the joy away from me just a little bit. Archie, stop. Because I, this was something that my husband and I always enjoyed doing together. And then Tom was there. And then I was like, uh, you know, do I want to go to this race? You know, because he might be there, blah, blah, blah. So I went and, um, he wasn't there and he wasn't there for the next year or the next year or the next year. But every single year I go, I'm looking to see if he's there because I don't, I don't want to be around him, but those are the intrusive thoughts. And it doesn't have to do with the abuse. It has to do with the person who abused me. So I guess in a, in a roundabout way, it does have to do with the abuse. So reliving. So that's just my little example of that reliving the traumatic event as if it were happening again. Okay. So I have many, many, many examples of this, but one of them stands out and I call this night. Um, and I talked about this in another episode, but this one particular night, I call it my PTSD night. It was a Saturday night. I had just got back from, um, I think I went to, I did go to San Francisco. Um, I was, my brain was just an overload. I had gone to the Alcatraz and the Alcatraz I associated with Tom. And so I had three or four days of buildup before this PTSD attack hit. And that particular night, my physiological response was, I mean, my senses were flared up. I could smell his cologne. I could taste um, the the cigarettes on his breath. And at that time, I was not a smoker, so it was it was definitely noticeable. Um, and I I felt like I was dying. Uh, my heart rate was so high. I remember being on the floor, and I was literally praying for God to take my life because first of all, I wasn't going to do it. Um, and second of all, I didn't think I was going to be able to survive the episode that I was going through. So I've had other ones like that. Um, I've had, I've had very, I guess, minor ones where 
you're, I hear something and instantly something will flash in my mind. Um, and it always has to do with the abuse. Would you stop? Quit it. Sorry. Archie's being a little booger tonight. So that was just an example of one of the flashbacks. The next is upsetting dreams or nightmares about the traumatic event. I can remember many sessions that I had with Beth. Many of them, I would have some kind of a dream about Tom. And, and you know, we she talked about them with me. I know some people hate talking about people's dreams, but your dreams say a lot about your your mental state, I think. And it's funny because through the years, Belle, knock it off. You guys, I'm trying to, trying to do a video here. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. There's a silly TikTok. I think it's called Jasper the doll. And it's this dumpster Barbie doll. <laughs> She's like, guys. Anyway, you, if you are on TikTok, watch it because it's funny as crap. I, my husband and I laugh and laugh and laugh about it. He won't tell you. He will not admit that he watches TikTok, but when I show him these videos, he brings them up later. We laugh. Anyway, sorry, got off topic. Um, so there were many times in her session in sessions with Beth, Beth was my psychologist, uh, from the time I was 16 until I was mm, late thirties, maybe. Um, but she, there was a lot of years in there where we were not patient and doctor, but I went back to her. So she was familiar with my story and I didn't have to keep repeating it. And that was so important to me. But so upsetting dreams, I had lots and lots of those. But over the years, as my treatment went on, my dreams changed. And you can see my healing in them. It's really weird. Um... I can't really think of any right now, but, and I'll just spare you <laughs> that because some, like I said, some people don't give a crap about dreams, but in my personal situation, um, I was able to see my treatment, my healing through them. The next one is severe emotional distress or physical reactions to something that reminds you of the traumatic event. I'm not exactly sure what that noise was. So... Andy Griffith show <laughs> many years ago if I would hear that whistling intro to the show I would freeze uh, now I can go to a freaking restaurant that is based on the Andy Griffith show and I'm okay so progression uh, dealing with my triggers and kind of like exposure therapy um, okay, so that's intrusive memories. Belle, leave the cat alone. These animals are out of control. Um, so you've got intrusive memories. The next one is avoidance. Symptoms of, invo of avoidance may include trying to avoid thinking or talking about the traumatic event, avoiding places, activities, or people that remind you of the traumatic event. So, for example... A lot of people, a lot of victims or survivors, let's say, and this, I'm literally just pulling this out of the air. 
let's say that someone is going to a movie theater to see a movie with family or friends. Something traumatic happens. And it can be like the, um, I think it was in Texas uh, many years ago, there was a, a Batman movie that came out and somebody went into the theater with a, a shotgun or a gun of some sort and, and just shot up the room, the theater, and killed a bunch of people and traumatized every one of the rest of them. So the association for that victim would be probably never going into a movie theater again without feeling some sort of anxiety. For myself, you would think that racing would be a traumatic reminder for me or a reminder of the traumatic events, but they're not. It's not. Um, The bowling alley was a big thing for me as a kid. Um, With I can't really not go to a bowling alley because my husband is a really good bowler and, you know, I want to be a supportive wife. So over the years, I've been able to continue to go to the bowling alley. Um, We don't really go to my home bowling alley where my mom and my stepdad and my brother and, and Ryan, my husband, where they all bowled when I was growing up. But I could see now how it would, I would avoid it. Even before Ryan and I got back together, um, it was it was a difficult decision to go to the bowling alley to be with my brother because he did a lot of tournament bowling a while back. So um, avoiding places or physical reactions. You know, if you know, it's almost like you know the stove is hot and you know that that one time when you touched it, you burned yourself. It's kind of like that where you're like, "Mm, I'm not going to touch that again because it's going to burn. You know, you're just avoiding it. You learned, you know, you don't, I'm not going to say you learned, but something. This is a bad memory. So let's not touch the stove. Okay. Something like that. So the next one, negative changes in thinking and mood. Symptoms of negative changing in thinking and mood may include, and there's a little list here. We've got negative thoughts about yourself and other people or the world, hopelessness about the future, memory problems, including not remembering important aspects of the traumatic event. I think in that case, it could be uh, some sort of defensive mechanism and, and helping yourself not remembering. Um, Difficulty maintaining close relationships, been there, done that. Feeling detached from family and friends. Lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed. Difficulty experiencing positive emotions. Feeling emotionally numb. So if I pulled a couple of these, negative thoughts about yourself or other people or the world. Anybody that is close to me knows the negative thoughts about myself have been um, pretty common throughout my entire life. Um, So now as an adult, it's a little bit easier to notice when I'm saying something that is negative about myself. I have a hard time with Uh, I want to say something before somebody notices. So silly example, you get toothpaste on your shirt 
when you're brushing your teeth in the morning before you go to work. You leave, you go to work, and you're like, damn it, I got toothpaste on my shirt. So the first person that walks into your office, you point out, hey, I got toothpaste on my shirt. You wanted to point that out before they pointed it out to you. Um, I do that all the time. It drives me crazy, and I don't really recognize it until after I've done it. I'm like, dang it. (laughs) Um, Hopelessness about the future. I think for myself on this one, um, I'm going to say that there was always something I was curious about with the future. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. I never was like, my future is a black hole. You know, I, I was always curious and I did have, I do have good friends who are encouraging, you know, when I wanted to go to graduate school. I didn't really think I would get in, to be honest with you, (laughs) but I did. And I, um, it opened my mind a lot, you know, undergraduate school was great. But graduate school, when you get to, you get down to the nitty gritty of what you're going to school for, and every paper you write is about that subject, every presentation you do is about that subject, and if you are close to that subject. So for myself, I went for mental health and addiction, but I wasn't really into the addiction part, but they paired them together, so I had to take that. But the mental health part, I was getting an expertise in childhood abuse, like long-term side effects of that and childhood neglect, things like that. So it all was very personal for me. Every paper I wrote pretty much had my stamp. There was something about my personal experience that was in that paper, whether it be an example, whether it be, um, there was, there was always something in every paper, every presentation I did, something personal was in it. So I didn't really have a hopelessness about the future. And once I got into grad school, it was like, these are my people. We're talking about things that I really enjoy. Like not, I didn't, I don't enjoy it. I understand it and I know it. Um, so when you've been traumatized, when you've been raped, when you've been abused, as a child or even as an adult, um, there is a big part of empathy because you know how they feel. You, not a hundred percent because every single person is different. Every situation is different, but you understand their sadness and their grief and their anxiety and why they're anxious. And you just understand it. So I found that pretty cool. Um, now I am in finance for my, my career and it has nothing to do with mental health and addiction. So <laughs> that doesn't make much sense, but given the chance to talk about mental health, I will talk about it. Um, you know, a, a coworker or a friend or somebody that has had addiction issues, you know, I'm all about talking about the treatment, all that stuff. It's, I enjoy those conversations. Okay. So Memory problems, including not remembering the important aspects of the trauma. 
that was never really a problem for me. Um, it was actually kind of the opposite. I felt like I had a photographic memory about things, which was frustrating. But as I was going through treatment, it was helpful because it, I could know exactly what I'm healing from. Um, difficulty maintaining close relationships. So before I really got into treatment, I was in treatment um, 16 to 17-ish. And then in my early 20s for a minute. And then my late 20s, early 30s, I hit it pretty intensely. Um, But early on, it was really hard for me to maintain relationships. One, I was terrified that they were going to leave me. So I would do things that I thought I had to do to keep them around. Excuse me. For example, I go on a date with a guy. I probably came off a little clingy because I was like, I was interested in every single thing that they did. And, you know, I was always available and it just, it it was a little sad. Um, But maintaining close relationships I had to be the one to work on those relationships like with my mom and dad and my brother I'm the one who had to work through my issues with them because they weren't going to do it none of them went to treatment with me my mom and dad went with me the first time I saw Beth but that was it Um, it was pretty much my choice after that to work on those relationships and after some time you know you start to realize what a healthy relationship looks like. And then because it's healthy, it kind of nurtures itself in a way. Um, So then it's not as difficult to maintain those relationships. Feeling detached from family and friends. Um, I'm not, I don't think I've really had that issue Uh, lack of interest in activities that you once enjoyed. Yeah, I had the a little bit when I was going through a lot of depression. And as I grew up, like my interests kind of changed, you know. Difficulty experiencing positive emotions. (laughs) Yes. So for me, um, whenever I feel like I did something good, Um, It was an odd feeling. Um, When I was growing up, I never heard the I'm proud of you, you know, good job. You know, what I heard was, oh, we didn't think you were going to graduate high school, you dipshit. Like, (laughs) no, that, but that is something that my mom, she didn't call me a dipshit, but she did tell me that she was very surprised that I graduated high school and she was even more surprised that I went to college and then I graduated with an associate's and a bachelor's degree and that I got into graduate school. I think I kind of surprised her on that. But experiencing positive emotions, I can be happy for other people. I have no problem with that. Um, I remember right before I got married... And this is our eighth year being married. So when (laughs) 
I had to go to the doctor and get like my final, I don't even remember what, it was like that final doctor visit before I was married and you know, I just wanted to make sure that my medicine, my medications were good and everything was okay. Well, I had been seeing this doctor since the very same day that I started seeing Beth. So this doctor was aware of my past and she knew about my PTSD and she knew about, uh, physical issues that I had because of the abuse. Um, so I'm sitting on the table in her office this day and And she's asking me about the wedding and she's like, I'm so glad that, you know, you guys found each other again and it's a cute love story. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like, it was sweet that she, that she said that. And then I started getting emotional and I'm not an emotional person. And I was like, all I do is cry. Every time I talk about the wedding, I cry. Every time I talk about spending the rest of my life with him, I cry. And she stopped and she looked at me and she put her hand on my knee and she's like, honey, she said, you're in love and you're happy. (laughs) And I was like, boom, in my head. I was like, she's right. You know, I have, I have my happy ending with my marriage. And so feeling that positive emotion was weird for me. Even now telling you that, it feels weird because I never want to be a gloating person or a boasting person or whatever. Um, I try to be humble in things. And so when I was actually happy, I thought it was a sad thing because I was emotional. And it took her to tell me, you're happy. This is this is a good tears. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cry all the time. So it was just weird. And even today it's weird for me to experience a positive emotion for myself. But like I said, I could be happy for other people. Um, it's just weird. And I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that that's part of the PTSD. A lot of this stuff I didn't realize was PTSD in a like, nutshell. Uh, feeling emotionally numb. A lot of people experience that. I've heard a few people talk about, you know, they have no feelings at all. I, I, I like I've had depression over the years, multiple times. I, I guess I'm always depressed. I'm just, it's being treated right now. So, um, the times that my depression flares up and I'm in a really dark place. I do feel emotionally numb. So I guess I do. I relate to that. So the next one, we'll go through these again in case you forgot. We've got intrusive memories, avoidance, negative changes in thinking and mood. And the last one is changes in physical and emotional reactions. So symptoms of changes in physical and emotional reactions, also called arousal symptoms, may include being easily startled or frightened, always being on guard for danger, self-destructive behavior such as drinking too much or driving too fast, trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, irritability, angry outbursts or aggressive behavior, and overwhelming guilt or shame. So as I was reading these, I was like, check, 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 check. (laughs) 
being easily startled or frightened. Um, that I think that is more of a, um, like a war symptom maybe, or a gunshot, you know, like you hear loud noise and you instantly jump because it reminds you of being at war. Um, you're easily startled because somebody, I don't know, they just scare you. And I can see how that, I know around the 4th of July, you see a lot on social media about the fireworks and how they are fun for some people, but they're a nightmare for others. So I get that. Always being on guard for danger. Um, I think at one time, yes, I would say that that is true. I was always feeling like, um, who is going to hurt me next? I guess I hate to say that, but it was kind of like, who am I going to have to do the, do stuff for now? Self-destructive behavior, such as drinking too much or driving too fast. So I did go through a phase where... I was young and dumb and I was, you know, I tried drugs. I tried drinking a lot. All of this was underage stuff. I did drive really fast. (laughs) Funny story about that. I was actually not driving really fast in this particular story, but I was driving my dad's 1995 Geo Metro. It, (laughs) that car, I've talked about that car before, but that was my high school car. Like Dad let me drive it to and from school. Um, I could take him to work and then use it on the weekends as long as I picked him up. Things like that. Well, this one particular day, I was I was in a hurry to go pick up one of my girlfriends after I got off of work because we had to. I had to go pick her up. She she was about thirty minutes away from me so that we could get to the bank so she could cash her paycheck from her like uh, school job so that we could go to the freaking Sizzler and get all-you-can-eat shrimp on a Friday night. We had a very strict time schedule here. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take the back roads. I remember these back roads from when my mom had her paper out. I was like, zoom, zoom, zoom. I was driving this little buggy like crazy. Well, I didn't know that there was a bridge. And I was going probably about 65. That's not too fast, but on a back road, it's dangerous. I was... I was driving, I hit this ramp, my car went up, all four of the wheels off the ground, went over the bridge, I was like, Duke's a hazard or something, and when it came back down, I seriously thought it was going to, one, hit the ground with the nose of the car, and I was going to flip the car, or two, when it did hit the ground, I thought I was going to bust all four of the tires. Well, what happened was it hit the ground on all four tires, But in that moment when I was up in the air, my seatbelt locked and my body went up. And in in doing that, I ended up cracking my breastbone. Like it was a very small crack, but man, that hurt like a beast. So the car lands on the ground and I'm like, holy crap, broke my dad's car. (coughs) Excuse me. I get out of the car. I'm walking around, making sure all the tires are inflated still and, um, (laughs) I didn't notice this at the time, but I guess I sprung the hood, like, I don't know, a quarter of an inch up. So this new car, the hood was popped up just a little bit. 
So later, like a couple weeks or so later, my dad noticed it. He's like, what did you do to the hood of my car? And I was like, I don't know. I think somebody backed into the car at Walmart. And he believed that for the longest time. And then I was like, I should probably tell dad the truth because, you know, it's not nice to lie. So I told him and he was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you did it. So I was just being, I was being stupid, I guess. So I was being self-destructive. And maybe that's some of the stuff that Ryan was talking about, where I was just being self-destructive, doing stupid things. Um, I have always had trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating. Yes, as a child I did, and maybe even in my um, high school years. But, excuse me, um, I didn't really, I don't really have, issues concentrating now. I do remember when I was going through the meat of the, the, the treatment, um, it felt like that it, it was my entire life again. I was trying to remember things so that I could talk about them in therapy so that I could feel the raw emotion of it and purge it. And that's exactly, I mean, for at least a couple of years, I think that's how my, my life was. So it did kind of take over my concentration a little bit. Um, irritability, angry outbursts, or aggressive behavior. Um, when I was going through treatment for the PTSD, I guess I did have lots of times where I had angry outbursts or aggressive behavior toward my, my parents, mostly my mom. I was pretty irritable with her a lot because I I blamed her a lot. I guess I didn't really blame her. I felt like she was like the vehicle to get me to to the abuse, I guess. I don't know. Um, big, big, big thing that I do struggle with to this day in last week's episode or two weeks ago was about shame. Overwhelming guilt or shame. So before... Archie, I'm not giving you any more treats. You need to stop. You're going to be a 400-pound dog. Um, The shame to this day is still there. The guilt, not so much because I realized I put the blame where it belonged, back on Tom and the other perpetrators. So I don't really feel guilty for it. But when I was, Belle, leave his food alone. (laughs) These dogs are like little children. They're like, I'm going to eat my other dog food. Anyway, sorry. The overwhelming, um, guilt was there a lot during treatment. And I finally had to realize it wasn't my fault. And I'm telling you right now, it wasn't your fault. You got to put it where it belongs, the blame where it goes, because there's no reason for you to be carrying that around. Um, so this, on a side note, For children six years old and younger, signs and symptoms may also include reenacting the traumatic event or aspects of the traumatic event through play, uh, frightening dreams that may or may not include aspects of the traumatic event. I don't really have a lot of experience with little kids um, being abused other than like myself and other people that I know who were abused as kids. But I can understand the reenacting part, you know, because kids 
that's, that's just that to me, I guess that's a good reason why they have the dolls and stuff that they have when they do forensic interviewing, because they want to show you what happened. So that makes sense. Um, so intensity of symptoms. Now I'm kind of moving past the, uh, the reasons or the moods or what was it called? The, uh, <laughs> the symptoms, sorry. So intensity of symptoms, PTSD symptoms can vary in intensity over time. You may have more PTSD symptoms when you're stressed in general, or when you come across reminders of what you went through. For example, you may hear a car backfire and relive a combat experience. Or you may see a report on the news about a sexual assault and feel overcome by memories of your own assault. I can understand this. Um, When I went to San Francisco and I came home and I had my PTSD night, I remember talking to Beth uh, that next session after that attack and she told me, she's like, you know, a lot of people don't realize that vacations are a very stressful time. And PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. So after that, after making that uh, connection, <laughs> now I have to be very careful when I go on vacation. Um, like, we're going on vacation this week. We're going on another cruise to the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and I think the Virgin Islands. But these places are not places that would be triggering for me. I do plan before I die, I do plan to go back to the Alcatraz Island. And I do plan on taking my husband. I wanted to take my best friend and Janet with me, but then Janet passed away and I don't know if my best friend will ever be able to go with me. Um, but before I die, that is one place I will go back to and I will enjoy that trip. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I will enjoy it this time. Uh, there's also a note on here about when to see a doctor. If you have disturbing thoughts and feelings about your traumatic event for more than a month, if they're severe, or if you feel you're having trouble getting your life back, back under control, talk to your doctor or a mental health professional. Getting treatment as soon as possible can help prevent PTSD symptoms from getting worse. I would agree with that. (laughs) The next one is a little bit touchy. It's probably a trigger warning for some. It's about uh, suicidal thoughts. Okay. Um, I gave you a second so that you could turn it off if you needed to. If you or someone you know has suicidal thoughts, get help right away. Though one or more of these, through one or more of these resources, you can reach out to a close friend or a loved one. You can contact a minister, spiritual leader, or someone in your faith community. Contact the suicide hotline in the U.S. You can call or text. You can call or text 988 to reach the 988 suicide crisis lifeline. Available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or use a lifeline chat. Services are free and confidential. You can do those online. Make an appointment with your doctor or mental health professional right away. Um, That actually happened to me. It was in like 
it was in 2020. It wasn't because of the pandemic. This was actually before the shutdown, but I had stopped taking um, my medications and, oh man, the suicidal thoughts were crazy. And, you know, I do take responsibility for that because I quit taking the medication and I shouldn't have. So, uh, when to get emergency help. If you think you may hurt yourself or attempt suicide, call 911 or your local emergency number immediately. If you know someone who is in danger of attempting suicide or has made suicide a suicide attempt, make sure someone stays with that person to keep him or her safe. Call 911 or your local emergency number immediately. Or if you can do so safely, take the person to the nearest hospital emergency room. Causes. You can develop post-traumatic stress disorder when you go through, see, or learn about an event involving actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violation. Doctors aren't sure why some people get PTSD. As with most mental, sorry, doctors aren't sure why people get PTSD, why some people get it. As with most mental health problems, PTSD is probably caused by a complex mix of stressful experiences, including the amount of severity or trauma you've gone through in your life, inherited mental health risks such such as family history of anxiety and depression, inherited features of your personality often called your temperament, the way your brain regulates the chemicals and hormones your body releases in response to. That's interesting. Risk risk factors. People of all ages can have post-traumatic stress disorder. However, some factors may make you more likely to develop PTSD after a traumatic event, such as experiencing intense or long-lasting trauma, having experienced other trauma earlier in life, such as childhood abuse, having a job that increases your risk of being exposed to traumatic events, such as military personnel and first responders, having other mental health problems such as anxiety or depression, having problems with substance misuse such as excessive drinking or drug use. We're almost done. (laughs) Um, Lacking a good support system of family and friends, having blood relatives with mental health problems including anxiety or depression. Um, kinds of traumatic events. These are just some examples. The most common events leading to development of PTSD include combat exposure, childhood physical abuse, sexual violence, physical assault, being threatened with a weapon, an accident. A lot of people um, who do have automobile accidents, loud noises, things like that, they probably have a really hard time driving again shortly after. Many other traumatic events also can lead to PTSD, such as fire, natural disaster, mugging, robbery, plane crash, torture, kidnapping, life-threatening medical diagnosis, that's interesting, terrorist attacks, and other extreme or life-threatening events. Complications. Post-traumatic stress disorder can disrupt your whole life, your job, your relationships, your health, and your enjoyment of everyday activities. You need to hush. Having PTSD may also increase your risk of other mental health problems such as depression and anxiety, 
issues with drug or alcohol use, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts and actions. All of those very true. Prevention. I think we're almost done, you guys. Um, After surviving a traumatic event, many people have PTSD-like symptoms at first, such as being unstable, (laughs) sorry, such as being unable to stop thinking about what's happened. Fear, anxiety, anger, depression, guilt are all common reactions to trauma. However, the majority of people exposed to trauma do not develop long-term post-traumatic stress disorder. Getting timely help and support may prevent normal stress reactions from getting worse and developing into PTSD. This may mean turning to family and friends who will listen and offer comfort. That may mean seeking out mental health profession, a mental health professional for a brief course of therapy. Some people may also find it helpful to turn in, to turn to their faith community. Support from others also may help prevent you from turning to unhealthy coping methods such as misuse of alcohol or drugs. And that is it. This this article was um, on the Mayo Clinic website. I guess it there's not there wasn't I didn't see an um, an author's name, but if anybody is interested, um, all you have to do is just reach out to me and I can put a link on my Facebook page so that you can find it. Um, don't forget that PTSD is not a bad thing. It, it sucks when you're going through it. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're broken and that you can't be fixed. It just means that you were traumatized and this is your way of processing the trauma, in my opinion. Um, Like I said in my last episode, I am in no way, shape, or form a mental health professional. I never did get my graduate degree. I never was certified in anything. This is all strictly personal experience and such. So... I do live a functioning life with PTSD. Um, there are things that tr- that can be triggers for me, but a lot of times I have to bring myself back to reality. I have to basically say out loud, you know, I'm at home. I'm sitting in my chair at my kitchen table. I'm, you know, my dog is right here next to me. You just have to reprogram the brain at that moment and just remind yourself that you are not in that traumatic experience right now. You are not going, you're safe. Um, you kind of, you just have to bring yourself back. And if you guys need more information on that, I'm happy to research it and put it into an episode because sometimes when you have PTSD and you go through these I call them PTSD attacks. I don't know what they're technically supposed to be called, like episodes or whatever. But when you're going through them, it feels like your life is falling apart and you feel so many different things. Um, But if it would help any of you, you can reach out to me on, excuse me, on Facebook. I have a private group. It's Kept Secrets. 
excuse me again, a podcast about overcoming childhood trauma. Um, I'm the only admin on that page. It's a small group right now, but I'm really hoping that it can grow into a bigger community where people actually talk to each other on there and encourage each other. Um, you can send me a private message on Facebook. I've had um, a handful of people reach out to me, which is awesome. I'm doing this podcast to help. I want nothing out of it. Um, you know, sometimes, like a friend of mine reminded me today, because I, I was having trouble getting back into it. Um, and she's like, you know, this stuff is pretty heavy. And maybe it's just your way of protecting yourself um, from getting into that heavy stuff. And I think she is probably right. You know, after going through this every single week for 10 weeks or whatever, and I'm talking about some pretty traumatic things that I experienced, um, it does tend to kind of wear on you a little bit. But I'm just saying that I'm doing this to help. So if it does help you, thank goodness. Um, It is nice to know if it helps. So if you want to reach out to me, um, you know, I'm happy to chat with you about your experience. Um, And if you have questions about mine, I'm more than happy. I am an open book. Everybody is welcome to know everything about my history. I have nothing to hide. It is my path in life. This is that path is what brought me here. I'm married to my, the love of my life. I have a nice home, have a good job. My friends are awesome. Um, everything, you know, life's not perfect, but life is not even close to the garbage that I went through as a child and a teenager. So sometimes it's just nice to be reminded (laughs) The things for myself could have been a lot worse. Um, so that being said, I'm going to wrap things up. I, like I said, I won't be back next week because I will be on vacation. And then the week after that, I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'll be able to get an episode in, but I will try. Um, but then I should be back on the regular after that. So I hope that you have a great rest of your day or evening doing whatever it is you're doing and I hope you make good choices. Until next time.